Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I was just uh, scrolling through the news feed in the, in the Freaks group, mm-hmm. a box of oddities podcast group. Uh, which, by the way, we just... Uh, group page. Cl- the group page. We just uh, cleared over... <laughs> Uh, like 11,000 some odd people. Oh, really? Our members, like 11,300 wow. something. I so, didn't realize it was that much. Yeah, that's pretty great. I came across an article from Boing Boing that was posted by Joe. Joe Vincent? Joe Vincent, yeah. I love Joe Vincent. Yeah, he's hilarious. Anyway, he posted this article. It's titled, Band Apologizes for Singer After She Pees on a Fan's Face During Concert. And interestingly enough, this just happened Thursday at uh, Daytona International Speedway. Oh, Florida. Here in Florida. Yay. According to the Boing Boing article, uh, a fan climbed onto the stage during Brass Against's rocking cover version of Rage Against the Machine's Wake Up after singer Sophia Urista uh, instructed the person to lie down on the stage. She then uh, pulled her pants down and, and urinated right in the man's face. It seemed, according to the article again, it seemed he was wearing a camera strapped to his head, but she kindly encouraged him to remove it before the flow commenced. Judging from the video's evidence, the fan seemed quite pleased. Oh, well, as long as everyone's having a good time. Brass Against issued this apology on Twitter. Quote, we had a great time last night. Sophia got a little carried away. That's not something the rest of us expected. And it's not something you'll see again in our shows. Thanks for bringing it last night, Daytona. Wow. And people wonder why we moved to Florida. This is why. So Joe posts this, and then, of course, everybody's chiming in. Ashley wrote, her name is Eurista? She's like a barista, but for urine. (laughs) She's a urista. (laughs) Roxanne wrote, uh, I heard this was a streaming event. (laughs) Um, And then Joe comes back with the winner. You could say she's... Raging against the latrine. (laughs) 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 Joe. Anyway, a box of oddities podcast group 
If you're not on it, you're missing out. Yeah, and I feel like we might be missing out too. Please bring your your joy to us. Yes. Deliver your joy. Just don't deliver it in a thick stream. Stop. <laughs> yeah, blah, 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 blah. All a right. Thick stream. It you're was. I, I looked at the video. No. I did. It was a it was a thick stream of urine. Right. And quite a high pressure one. I think that she just really had to go and decided to work it into the show. All right. Well, you use what you have available to you. Did real quick want to mention that for the first time I am attempting to record while sitting on the beanbag chair and Howard has made his way into my lap. So sorry for the inevitable interruptions. Make yourself comfortable. I got a story. Got it. Almost exactly 300 years ago, November 28th, 1724, Peter the Great publicly beheaded Willem Mons. It happened in St. Petersburg, Russia. Mons had been arrested just eight days earlier. He was the private secretary to Catherine, Peter's wife, and had been charged with breach of trust and embezzlement. But there seems to be potentially more to the story. Uh-huh. Rumors at the time were swirling about that those charges were just kind of made up. They were trumped up charges. And his true crime, which he was executed for, was getting it on with Catherine. Oh my goodness. It's interesting to note how Mons came to the court in the first place. It seemed he knew people. He had connections. He was the brother to Peter the Great's longtime mistress, Anna Mons. Uh-huh. So he's the brother of Peter the Great's mistress. Uh-huh. He allegedly became a boy toy for, <laughs> uh, for Catherine, but uh, that cost him his head. Allegedly. Allegedly. Now, Willem Mons... I love the name Willem, by the way. I do, too. He was officially Catherine's secretary when this affair allegedly began. He was incredibly handsome. In fact, one person in the court reportedly described him as, quote, the best made and most handsome man I have ever seen. Wow. Yeah, I never trust accounts of anyone being handsome or good looking from 300 years ago. (laughs) Their definition of beauty was um, different. Look at that giant silky white forehead. And all those rotted teeth because (sighs) they can afford sugar. But he was, what we do know, young, of German descent, reportedly very ambitious, and some would say opportunistic. Okay. He seemed to connect himself to the right people at the right time. People that had his best interests in mind or could further his career. Mm -hmm. This is how he climbed the social ladder until he reached the pinnacle of his career in 1724 when he became secretary and confidant to Catherine. Historian Robert K. Massey in his biography of Peter the Great wrote, quote, Lurid stories circulated, including one that Peter had found his wife with Mons on a moonlit night in a compromising position in the garden. They were doing it in a hedge or something. So romantic. Or something. (laughs) Now, there are those who doubt that the affair ever took place. And Massey writes that Catherine was very fond of Peter and knew well of his furious temper. For her to have an affair would be out of character for Catherine, according according to Massey. Also, the story says that he was caught in the garden on a moonlit night, and he was executed on November 28th, eight days after his arrest. That meant that they were outside in November, November 20th, uh, getting it on in St. Petersburg. Now, I don't know what the temperature was on November 20th, 1724. I bet there's a savant out there who could. I would love to hear about it. 
What I do know is that the temperature in St. Petersburg, Russia, as I was researching this, was 32 degrees Fahrenheit Oof. or zero degrees Celsius. So That is not conducive to bonering. No, it is not. It's an anti-bonering environment. No, I'm not saying it, it was impossible. Of course not. Because, you know, Catherine was a hottie. Right. And she had that vacuum vag. <laughs> Did you see that post? <laughs> no. On the Freaks group? No, but I just enjoyed vacuum vag. Okay. What, explain that to me. So uh, it was a post that someone shared of a meme stating how sex in the way that we do it is unnat- unnatural um, because the way that we're supposed to have sex is after we are married and very much in love while sleeping the woman's vacuum vag will invite the flaccid penis inside. Uh. And that's the only way that copulation is supposed to take place. The way that we do like, quote unquote, forceful copulation (laughs) is unnatural, according to this meme. (laughs) Wow. Another reason to uh, join Freaks a Box of Oddities Facebook group. It's full of all kinds of wrong information. (laughs) (laughs) So because of all those conditions, it seems unlikely that they were caught doing it outside in the garden at night. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm not saying the affair never took place. I'm just saying it probably happened inside. (laughs) Any hoozle. It was also likely that he was on the take soliciting bribes Uh. from pretty much anybody to get a message to the empress and hopefully to Peter himself. Regardless, when Peter found out He wasted no time. He immediately seized Mons's papers. Catherine was trying desperately to get a pardon from her husband, but to no avail. And I'm sure that her trying to get a pardon only fueled the rumors Mm. that there was a, a love affair. Probably. Within a week of his arrest, he had been sentenced to death by beheading and was quickly and publicly decapitated. Huge crowds gathered to watch in central St. Petersburg. Now, when this was happening, what was uh, Catherine doing? The moment that Willem's head left his body, Catherine was with her daughters rehearsing a minuet with their dance instructor. She was said to show no trace of emotion. And uh, believe me, everybody was watching to see how she was going to react, you know, to see if maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. more evidence. Yeah, the paparazzi. The 18th century paparazzi. I don't know how you can so quickly reel off what century it is. Like, I really have to think about it. (laughs) I'm like, what year did you? Okay, so. 1720. The forward or the past one? Yeah, I just add 100. So of 1724, that would be the 18th century. I can never remember, though, if it's adding or subtracting. It's confusing, I know. I can't tell if you're being serious. Word is that Willem Mann's execution had a serious negative impact on Peter and Catherine's relationship. I would imagine, even if he weren't her lover. They were co-workers, so to speak. Well, she was her, her, his employer. Massey writes in his biography of Peter. Um, Sounds like he was Peter the mediocre. Peter the bare minimum. But that just doesn't have the same pizzazz as Peter the Great. Okay, I'm sorry. Peter you the were bare say- minimum. <laughs> you were um, saying. <clears throat> even after just a month since he had been put to death, whispers at the court said that the two of them hardly ate together, Catherine and Peter, and they did not sleep in the same room anymore. So it could have just been the fact that her lover had been executed by Peter the Great that caused this division between Catherine and Peter. I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. But in my opinion, probably the thing that really drove the final wedge between Catherine and Peter 
was after Mons had been decapitated, Peter pickled his head in vodka and (gasps) kept it in a large jar. He displayed it. He actually presented it to Catherine and required her to keep it on her nightstand in her bedroom at all times. Okay, so that would definitely lead one to believe he had suspicions of an affair. Mm, That would certainly lead me to to believe that. Now, this, interestingly, wasn't the first time Peter had uh, cut off a guy's head and pickled it. Well, at least a person. Peter's own lover, a few years earlier, Mary Hamilton, had been executed for crimes that included infanticide, abortion, and theft. He had her head preserved just the same way. Was it on the other side of the bed? Because its symmetry is very important to me in design. It's like some sort of morbid form of feng shui. And then about three months after the execution of Willem Mons, Peter himself followed Mons to the grave. He was uh, 53 years old. He'd been battling bladder illness as well as cirrhosis. He was known to be a very, very heavy drinker. He, he actually, he invented what he called the vodka penalty shot. <laughs> if anybody arrived late to any of his dinners or feasts or gatherings, mm-hmm. he forced them to do a penalty shot of vodka, which actually sounds kind of cool. <laughs> that almost, in my mind, redeems him. So immediately, I started thinking, well, shit, what happened to the heads? Right, yeah. Where are those pickled heads? Where are those pickled heads? Many years earlier, Peter had stumbled across a collection of oddities and curiosities. Oh, wow. They included such things as pickled human embryos and uh, deformed animals. So Peter, being an an inquisitive guy, uh, decided he he wanted his own. So he opened what was called the Kunstkamera in 1727. The Kunstkamera was actually the very first museum in Russia. Basically, he started collecting body parts and stuff and putting them in jars. And and does this museum still exist? It does. Uh, it began with his own personal collection, and he stored them initially at his summer palace. It featured a large assortment of human and animal fetuses, anatomical deficiencies. The underlying idea was for the museum to acquire full knowledge of the world. Through human bits. Peter offered large sums of money for people to bring their pickled specimens, or better yet, live ones, to him. He encouraged research of deformities, along with trying to debunk uh, superstitions such as uh, monsters and things like that. Oh, that's cool. Ultimately, he issued a proclamation, an order, that all malformed stillborn infants be sent to him from all over the country. Oh, Lord. To his imperial collection. He then put them on display as examples of accidents of nature. So it seems logical that the pickled heads would end up in Peter's bizarre museum. And they did. Well, at least for a little while. They remained in the museum for about a half a century. It even survived a devastating fire that took place in 1747. In the 1780s, Catherine the Great, the wife of Peter the Great's grandson, was wandering through one day with her friend, Princess Dashkoff. They spotted the head of Mary Hamilton, and next to that was the head of William Mons on a dusty shelf, just kind of tucked back there with some old books. Sure, sure. According to scholar Oleg Neverov in 1985, quote, Princess Dashkoff and Catherine remarked on the wonderful preservation of these two beautiful young faces, 
still striking after the passage of 50 years. It's been said that some sense of propriety took hold and uh, she had them buried. So you're not going to find the severed heads of Peter the Great's wife's lover or his lover in this or any museum. Not anymore. However, the Kunstkamera does have a huge collection of specimens, everything from body parts to organs to human fetuses to deformed animals to Siamese twins to encephalitis swollen skulls to giant skeletons to jars of tumors. It's kind of like the Mütter Museum, just in Russia. It's now currently housed inside the Museum of Anthropology and Ethnography in St. Petersburg, Russia, which what? is still inside the Kunstkamera. So the Kunstkamera is like the building okay. now, and uh, inside is the Museum of Anthropology and Ethnography in St. Petersburg. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, there's some amazing pictures of uh, stuff they've got there. It's it's very similar to the Mütter. My sources were Wikipedia, Atlas Obscura, Ranker, Culture Map, and Robert K. Massey's biography of Peter the Great. Heads and Jars. Who doesn't like a story about heads and jars? And now, that thing in the middle. Acts of wartime propaganda can take many forms, some more creative than others. During the Cold War, the CIA considered airdropping XL condoms labeled medium over the Soviet Union to demoralize the Soviet male population and make them feel anatomically inferior and afraid to fight the US. The first word in box is box. Whoa, cool! <clears throat> this is the Box of Oddities. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, 
and they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money well i've got the podcast for you i'm sean piles and i host nerd wallets smart money podcast on our show we help listeners like you make the most of your finances i sit down with nerd wallets team of nerds personal finance experts in credit cards banking investing and more we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Support for the Box of Oddities is provided in part by listeners like you on Patreon. You can support us too. Go to patreon.com slash boxofoddities. Thank you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Jay writes, so I'm on episode uh, 92 about the black cursed sarcophagus. That's the one where they made like... The some, juice? Yeah, mummy juice. Some sort of, <laughs> some sort of energy drink. Yeah, the mummy juice. Yeah, yeah, mummy juice. Yeah. Uh, the guy stated that uh, the sarcophagus wasn't cursed, but part of me is curious is if COVID-19 is the result of opening that cursed mummy juice filled box... <laughs> I'd like to know how many of the people who opened it caught it. Kind of dark, but had to message you. I don't know. Love you guys. P.S. Oh, and Kat said 2019 was going to be the best year ever and probably set the curse into motion. That's not my fault. And then guys. he goes, LOL, I'm dumb. Um, thanks, Jay, I guess. <laughs> it's, I have a hard time not thinking about things like that. Like, you know, how many people who were there for the opening of the coffin ended up mm. becoming ill. Mm -hmm. I think about things like that all the time. Like, I'll be up in the middle of the night because, you know, we're not we're not good at sleep. Um, and and I'll think, like, how many people in the building are peeing right now? <laughs> well, it's not surprising because you're the one who invented the uh, the poop chart when you were younger. Mm, I did, yes. You know. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Sure, no problem. Also, you're a descendant of cannibals. We, we haven't mentioned that in a while. 
But uh, <clears throat> somebody sent us an ad for uh, a tofu-based human meat that's now available. So you can, they said, so Kat can still be, live her veg lifestyle and also honor her ancestry. Oh, my goodness. You guys. That's weird, though, isn't it? Vegetarian human meat. Yeah, so you can make your own foot tacos. Wow, lots of former episodes being referenced here. Mm-hmm. So tell me a story, weave me a tale, sing me a song. Today we're going to talk about Bernice Frankel. She was born to New York parents, New Yorker parents, parents from New York. Mm -hmm. The style, chewy on the inside, crispy on the outside, New York parents. And sometime (laughs) between 1922 and 1926, uh, Bernice was popped out. The exact date is unknown. During the Depression, when she was about 11 years old, her family moved to Maryland from New York. And apparently after that move, Bernice reportedly faced anti-Semitic rejection. She considered herself a bit of a misfit and grew up painfully shy. At age 16, Bernice developed a serious condition called coagulopathy. 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 Thank you. Coagulopathy. She wasn't well. Basically, it meant that her blood would not clot. And she was sent to an all-girls boarding school in Pennsylvania for her final two years of high school. I don't know why um, that was a solution to her blood not clotting, unless the the anti-Semitic bullying was that bad. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know what the connection is. Interesting. Either way, um, after that, she went to Blackstone College for two years, which was a junior college in Virginia, and then entered the Franklin Institute of Science and Arts, where she earned a degree as a medical laboratory technician. Now, I want to remind you, I said she was born between 1922 and 1926. So this is the early 40s that she's going to college. They frowned upon educating women in those days. Kind of rad, I'm just saying. So then in February of 1943, a call went out to women across the U.S. Be a Marine. Free a man to fight. The U.S. Marine Corps had established a women's reservists, making as many jobs open to women as they could so the men who were performing those jobs could go out to the field field the 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 strip the mall what's it called the field the front the front there we go the mall basically they were putting as many women into as many positions as possible i guess at this time there were suggestions by the public about what to call these new female Marines because they couldn't just be Marines, right? So they were like, what about the Glamorines or the Femorines? But General Holcomb uh, actually said, no, we're not doing this. Really? They are Marines, he told Life magazine in 1944. They don't have a nickname and they don't need one. They inherit the traditions of Marines. They are Marines. Which I think was very... Wow. Cool of that guy. Forward thinking for the 40s. Right. So Bernice Frankel enlisted as one of the first members of the United States Marine Corps Women's Reserve in 1943. They accepted her transfer request to the Motor Transport School in North Carolina. And then she worked as a truck driver and dispatcher in Cherry Point. In 1944, during her time in the military, she wed fellow Marine Robert Allen Arthur. I know what this story is. Go ahead. 
And then... I pieced this together. You did? Yeah. And then she was honorably discharged at the rank of Staff Sergeant in September of 1945. So she went to New York and entered the New York School's famous dramatic workshop to study with Erwin Piscator, along with classmates Harry Belafonte, Walter Matthau, and Tony Curtis. Wow, it's quite an illustrious group. Mm. At some point, she began using the name Beatrice. And although she and Robert had divorced, she kept the surname Arthur. So B. Arthur Mm -hmm. made a career off-Broadway. And if your question is, are you eventually going to talk about each and every one of the Golden Girls? The answer is yes. Mm -hmm. I don't think that was ever a doubt. Certainly not in my mind. B. Arthur's rad. The end. B was on stage, she was singing in nightclubs, and she was reading bit parts on Sid Caesar's show of shows. And she'd remarried to a guy named Gene Sachs in 1950. And it seemed like they, they liked each other, so that was nice. B. Arthur's career took off when she landed the role of Lucy Brown in the long-running off-Broadway hit The Three Penny Opera in 1954. She received excellent reviews and was soon in demand as a character actress. She appeared in a few movies and TV shows. And then Norman Lear, the creator of All in the Family and longtime admirer of B. Arthur, persuaded her to do a guest spot on the show in 1971, appearing as Maud. Well, immediately, the character Maud won the attention of CBS executives. And they worked with Lear to create a spinoff series called Maud, which premiered in 1972 and quickly moved into the top 10 in the Nielsen ratings, winning Arthur and Emmy in 1977. So by now, she's been... A working woman, she's been a Marine, she's been in theater, and now she's got her own TV show. But the really cool thing about B. Arthur is that she took every opportunity she could to use her career to bring issues that she cared about to the forefront of the cultural conversation, including the Vietnam War, issues regarding the Nixon administration. Uh, I guess at some point, Maude had a bid for a congressional seat. They talked about divorce, menopause, drug use, mental illness, and abortion was a big one. That was a really big one. That episode aired right before the Roe versus Wade decision. Crazy. So it was a big deal. And then in 1978, she appeared in the Star Wars holiday special. So let's just (laughs) go ahead and... Yeah, yeah. Golf clap for that. Probably not at the top of her. I'm so glad I did this list. In 1985, at the age of 63, B. Arthur was cast in Golden Girls. The series, obviously a huge hit. It remained a top 10 rating fixture for seven seasons. And she got several Emmy nominations over the course of the series and a win in 88. B. decided to leave the show after seven years, and in 92, the show was moved from NBC to CBS and retooled as a show called The Golden Palace. That only lasted a year. Yeah, that was a letdown. I think most Golden Girls fans would agree. Maybe during the retooling, they could have cast that singer, um, Sophia, and, and they could have called it The Golden Shower. Sophia was a character on The Golden Girls. It's writing itself. <laughs> Um, you stop talking about the urination thing? 
B. Arthur received... I make no promises. ...the third most nominations for the Primetime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series with nine. Wow. Only... Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Mary Tyler Moore have more than her. That's nuts. She made several guest appearances on television shows and organized and toured in her one-woman show. She made a guest appearance on Futurama. Actually, that episode was nominated for an Emmy as well. She has the magic touch. She really does. She appeared in the first season episode of Malcolm in the Middle. She was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Comedy for her appearance on Curb Your Enthusiasm. No shit. Anything that she's in basically is rad because she's B. Arthur. Except for the Star Wars Christmas special. Except for that. Yeah. In 2005, B put on a performance of her one-woman show to raise money for the Ali Forney Center. That night, she helped raise $40,000 and gave the center some serious help at a tough time during the recession. The Ali Forney Center is the largest LGBT community center helping homeless youth in the United States and doing so much more. And it's one of the only reasons that they could stay open is because she did this incredible philanthropy event. In her personal life, she was pretty private and introverted, but she was always involved in social issues like this. She was a champion for equal rights, for women, for the LGBTQ community, for animals. Television writer Charlie Hoke repeated a story several times about an instance when she just showed up on set with a German shepherd that she'd found running along the highway. (laughs) And she wasn't just going to leave it. So obviously now there's a German shepherd on set. Get over it. And I love that. In 2004, she appeared in the California Senate alongside Senator John Burton in support of a bill to ban the production and sale of foie gras. She was also so focused on helping to raise money for HIV AIDS research. She appeared in the 1992 Pacific Center HIV AIDS Benefit, along with her friend Angela Lansbury, which looking back at pictures of them together, like they were a couple of cuties. And when I would have seen that picture as a child, I would have been like, wow, those ladies are old. (laughs) But looking back, I'm like, look at you cuties. (laughs) Perspective. It, it changes everything. It really does change everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, sadly, B. Arthur did die of lung cancer at her home in Los Angeles in 2009. But even after that, we're finding out about what an amazing person she was and how much she cared about those issues. Her will was largely donations to organizations that she cared about. And several organizations have said that they would not have been able to continue without her incredible support. That is the mark of a truly kind person when you find out after they're gone, the extent of their philanthropic uh, involvement. Right. They're not doing it for the publicity. Right. They're doing it because it's the right thing to do. And the B. Arthur residence, which opened in 2017, is an 18-bed residence in Manhattan for homeless LGBT community, for homeless LGBT youth operated by the Alley Forney Center. And again, possible only because of her incredible generosity. B. Arthur, everyone. Right? Wow. She was a Marine. At a time when women weren't Marines, this was a new thing. What an inspiration. She really made a difference in her life, didn't she? Yeah. So the holidays are upon us. 
If you're looking for gift ideas, might we suggest Box of Oddities merch? Wow. I don't know. I didn't know that that's where this conversation was going. But Uh, yes, nothing says let's rejoice in the spirit of the season like a eat a bag of dicks t-shirt. Which is available now at theboxofoddities.com. You can find the link on our page. We appreciate you guys (laughs) so much. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.